Hello, this is the Online Resilience Podcast with me, Louisa Street, and Professor Andy Fippin. We're discussing all aspects of young people's online lives and giving practical advice on how to support the young people you work with. Music is by Rue Pestel. Welcome to another episode of the Online Resilience Podcast. Today we're talking about how to educate young people about digital resilience. Um, as part of the work that we've done on the Head Start project, we've worked closely with Evolve, who have created a lot of lesson plans um, specifically on how to teach about digital resilience. Um, and I'm going to go straight to Andy to ask for a bit of an overview of what those lesson plans do and, and how and teaching staff could use them. Okay, so Project Evolve, basically, it's run by Southwest Good for Learning, who people might have heard of. They're obviously quite a a leading online safety charity. Um, It's basically a massive resource of all sorts of uh, lesson plans and and similar um, supportive materials across a massively wide range of online issues. it's mapped onto Education for a Connected World, which is the government standard for what you might refer to as digital literacy. Um, but it has somewhat diverged from that. And it, it's become uh, the case now where if staff or teachers say, have, have you got any resources around topic X related to digital? The first thing I do is say, have you checked out Project Evolve? Because it yeah. covers things from you know copyright, copyright infringement to online relationships to legal issues and, and more more sensitive stuff. Um, yeah, and it basically it, it's free to use. It's um, it's got a, a ton of stuff on it. I spend quite a lot of time looking at the data behind it, so seeing what schools are using and and um, those sorts of things. And, and I think that's particularly interesting because. If we talk about the messages we've had from young people through the whole Head Start process, it's very much about, you know, don't just deliver a lesson on sexting and don't just deliver a lesson. Look at it in a broader perspective and start young now. If you look at the usage of Project Evolve resources, the vast majority of them, first of all, are around primary age, well, predominantly key stage two. Um, and very much around online relationships and image and self-identity. Those are the two big areas, which is I think really encouraging yeah. because while we spend time, if we were to believe the media in, in blind panics about this is terrible and that's terrible and we've just got to stop young people using it. What, what it would suggest to me is that the education that's being delivered, making use of the Project Evolve resources is very much um, more holistic, very much more holistic, is, is more holistic yeah. <laughs> um, in, in that it considers, all right, online issues can relate to image and self-identity online issues can relate to online relationships um rather than just going right can you just give us a lesson on cyberbullying please or, or something yeah. like that in fact but, but they have got some cyberbullying resources in the, in the um platform but those are probably some of the the least used things which is i think is really encouraging because it, it shows that you know education professionals that are using the resource are seeing the the bigger picture which is it's great as far as the messages we get from young people from Head Start. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that's great about the Project Evolve lesson plans is that it's not just a PowerPoint, it's activities yeah. and, and all of the information that you would need in order to have a really good, really interactive 
session and and yeah it's all there it's all available it's all free for schools um you have to create an account but that should you know shouldn't take more than a couple of minutes and then you've got Mm -hmm. access to all of those um resources the vast majority of resources i should say as well just to reassure folk is they have been developed by people with experience as teachers and education professionals it's not just a case of you know a couple of people decided to to knock together some lesson plans with no experience, which is probably why it's useful. I mean, they they sort of switched it on September last year as as the main thing, and they've picked up around certainly over ten thousand schools using it now, Amazing. which which I think is is demonstrates its value. I think. Um, yeah. You know, we don't we don't do normally do a lot of sort of product plugging on on these <laughs> podcasts, but you know, it is literally the case now where you know I was, I was doing something the other day. Um, it was informal use group stuff and someone said our problem is there's no resources for older teenagers it's like project evolve and then (laughs) you get a question from another presentation you're doing it's primary age teaching oh project evolve (laughs) it is it's 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 a very very valuable repository i think the other side that is what they do as well is um they have these things called knowledge maps which you could say are kind of assessments but they're not really assessments they're they're just ways to look at the knowledge of the young people in the class in an interactive way um, that doesn't have a sort of right or wrong answer, but it allows you to sort of baseline and then develop knowledge and things as well, which which again is, for, from my perspective as a researcher, is invaluable because we're just collecting data all the time on, you know, the sorts of applications of this in the classroom and the sorts of things that, that young people are being asked about, which, which again, broadly shows us that, that the focus around um, relationships and working with other people and interacting with other people online and similar are where the focus is and on the whole the knowledge isn't too bad which you know i've got i've got a meeting with dcms in a couple of weeks i think about it i think those are the messages we don't really give out we're so busy going oh it's terrible this these young people doing dangerous things and (laughs) they're being harmed and and things the message that you know most of the time young people know what they're doing and most of the time young people have got knowledge of this and and they will engage with these sorts of things rather than you know it's almost become a convenient excuse hasn't it oh well young people don't want to talk about this well they do (laughs) give them the opportunity to um and that might reflect on you know the the attitudes of the person making that claim yeah or the people saying well it's too complicated and platforms need to sort this stuff out because you know at, at the end of the day it's it's good to see that it's being acknowledged that this is about relationships and the technology facilitates that but it's still about relationships yeah definitely and I think um so a couple of things that I'll um just pick up on in that firstly I don't think we've got any qualms about promoting Project Evolve because we've actually worked with them to map the project some of the Project Evolve lesson plans onto the online resilience tool um, which isn't currently available online but it is available so if anybody is listening to this um, in the next uh, couple of months uh, so we're in April at the moment so if, if it's not online yet you can um, just email me and I can send you that mapping document um, and uh, hopefully sort of once we get to May June time it will be online so you'll literally be able to if you identify a behavior that you're concerned about particularly if it's something that perhaps a few um, young people in your school are all exhibiting a certain behavior then you could do a uh, look at the look at the mapping document and um, do a lesson particularly around um, that issue um, and yeah I mean I think in terms of 
talking to young people about their online lives um what we've found doing the focus groups is that young people do want to talk about it but Mm -hmm. there is some um I think there's some value in really knowing what you're going to be talking about and you know I've often said on this podcast you don't need to know everything you don't need to know all of the different games you just need that professional curiosity to ask young people what are you doing on these games and and what are you enjoying about it and and those kind of questions but if you're delivering a lesson around social media um, to a specific age group, it's probably worth knowing what social media you're likely to be talking about and knowing a little bit about those platforms just so that you can get into those conversations and it's not it doesn't need to all be the young people telling you how it works <laughs> rather than um, you kind of being able to deliver that session. Um, and I think, you know, that's... That's something that talking to young people, they said they'd had a lot of lessons where the teacher had just read through a PowerPoint. And that suggests to me that perhaps the teacher didn't feel very confident with the subject and and didn't perhaps know enough to go off script a little bit. So being prepared, doing a little bit of research beforehand, using the resources, if you're using a Project Evolve lesson plan you know kind of digging into that a little bit and and making sure you're familiar with the subject before you start so that it doesn't kind of become that lecture style um lesson no i think that's something that comes from young people for all the years i've been doing this is kind of like we don't need to see another video we don't need another powerpoint we want to be able to discuss and things And, and you know i do have some sympathies with um, teachers if you're looking at more sensitive areas so I've, I've got a friend who's a teacher and we were, we were chatting on Facebook because that's what old people do and um, he sort of mentioned some of the work that oh, I'm doing and, and he came out with the, the usual convoluted babble about well you know it, it is it's really difficult to look at this stuff because you need to be up on the technologies and you need to know what they're talking about you need to know what the technologies do and and um, just and I just said to him, it sounds like a bunch of excuses to me. And he's like, no, no. And then he said more of the same. And I said, yeah, but, you know, you've spoken to me about this before. You don't need to do that. You need to be able to be in a position where you can bring critical thinking to it. And you need to answer their questions about sex and drugs. Um, slightly sarcastically. And he went, yeah, but if I do that, I'm going to get sacked, aren't I? Um, which was um, a really interesting reflection on on the fact that this is, this is kind of why looking at these sorts of things in a broader perspective is always more valuable. Um, because, yeah, if you do do the sexting lesson or the porn lesson, um, there are going to be some some challenges there, certainly from parents. I've certainly um, had challenges from parents before where I've gone into a school and done stuff about those sorts of things. Yeah. Obviously, from my position, it's it's easier because the school can just say to the parents, oh, don't worry, we won't have him again. Um, and, and from my perspective, it's just kind of like, well, I could have predicted that. And those are the families that you need to be more concerned about because there's absolutely no way that the young person would disclose to their parents in those sorts of cases. Mm. Um, but if you're doing it in a more open way and a discussive way, then these sorts of things might come up and you can end up with student-led discussions around these sorts of things. So you're not marching in going, right, sit down, settle down, we're going to talk about sexting today, yeah. which I can I can completely appreciate does present some, some professional challenges, particularly if you don't have the support of yeah. um, senior management. I mean, I, I would say to, to teachers, if you don't have the support of senior management, you might like to remind them of the the educational duties under keeping children safe in education about how that should be covering these sorts of topics. Um, 
those those sorts of statutory documents generally do focus the minds of senior managers, I think, in the past. <laughs> and I mean, I think that that's really interesting because I think a lot of people might feel anxious um, opening up discussion on some of these topics. And and so it might be tempting to kind of rely a bit more heavily on a on a PowerPoint and a, a bit of a lecture. And and if you're if you're going to give a lecture about something, you are going to need to know all of the details about yeah, it. Absolutely. But if you have a conversation, actually, perhaps you you will need to know less going into it. And in one of the focus groups that we did, we were talking to a group of young people about lessons about pornography and sexting, and they were saying like, yeah. You're going to be giggly for the first 10 minutes that like teachers just need to accept that. But it doesn't mean we don't want to talk about it. And it doesn't mean we won't be able to talk about it seriously. But just let people have that five or 10 minutes at the beginning to get that silliness out. And I think that I was really amazed at the maturity that that young person (laughs) showed in kind of recognizing that. No, that's certainly been my experiences in the past. You know, it's like. I, I would always start off a discussion around something like pornography by not saying let's talk about porn, but saying, you know, what sort of things might you think adults are worried about you seeing? Um, and yeah. invariably they'd come up and talk about porn. Yeah, but, you know, even even with a, a group of 14-year-old lads talking about that sort of thing, once the 10 minutes of giggling, of, <laughs> have you heard about this one, have you heard about that one, and this one's really gross, they will start asking sensible questions and things. It's You've got you've got to acknowledge the novelty of the fact that this yeah. thing is... Um, is is quite unusual to them but i think i think the other thing as well is to always be i mean i'm gonna say this i'm an academic always be evidence-led about these sorts of things as well um i was a little bit difficult i was visiting a charity the other day and they've got a big poster about their service and they've got a big list of harmful content and one of the things because they've got stuff like terrorist material and those Mm -hmm. sorts of things and then they've got pornography so I posed the question, is pornography harmful? And they said, yes. <laughs> is it? Where's the evidence that pornography is harmful? Then? Um, because, you know, if you sort of reflect on the fact that if it is truly harmful, we should have seen a massive rise in sexual crime in the last 20 years. Now, we haven't. Now, there's lots of challenges uh, to that statement, but we just haven't. Does that mean we should let kids look at porn the whole time? No, obviously not, because it does affect people in different ways. But blanket statements of you shouldn't do this because it's damaging. It's like, well, is it damaging? You know. Um, yeah. So you know, it, it's it's one of those things where just because you're not saying, you know, it, it goes back to the don't masturbate because it'll give you hairy palms <laughs> nonsense, <Yeah. laughs> those sorts of things. Just because it's a sensitive issue and it's something that maybe most of us are uncomfortable talking about doesn't mean you should just shut it down by making up nonsense yeah um you know i have met young people who clearly have a problematic relationship with pornography does that mean that every young person who watches pornography will be damaged in some way well no it doesn't um you know if if that was the case we would have millions of young adults walking around now who are very much damaged about it now does it cause issues in relationships yes absolutely does it cause challenges in terms of uh, unrealistic expectations of body image and performance yes to some people it does but saying it's harmful you know that's just a, a problematic blanket statement and I think it's always good to to look at the evidence of these things yeah absolutely and I think considering how common using pornography is amongst adults um it 
even if we could stop all under 18s watching any pornography ever, we'd still need to be talking to them about it because you still need to be able to think about it critically as an adult and recognize that, you know, it's not real. Um, And so, yeah, like just sort of being concerned that it's harmful is, is fine, but using that as a reason not to talk openly to young people about what the potential issues might be and, yeah. And, you know, similarly, why people do it? What are the benefits of it? You know, why, if, if we're going to talk about the problems, then, you know, there's a perhaps it's useful to also consider the drivers for that um, behavior. Mm-hmm. I, I know we're, we're going to look at pornography. We're going to look at pornography <laughs> in more detail in, in a future podcast. But, you know, you can have some. The reason it exists is because people consume it. You know, it's yeah. a pure capitalist model, basically. Yeah. Um, uh, and you know, regardless of how much people wring their hands and go, this is terrible, this is disgusting. Well, millions and millions of people watch it every day. Um, so let's get over that bit and yeah. talk about it in a in a more progressive manner. And I think that also allows us to actually talk to young people about illegal pornography as well. Mm. You know, if we're just saying it's all bad all the time then we're not able to differentiate actually this is illegal because you know this this person's underage or because this is bestiality and and those kind of things which actually that's important for young people to understand because if they've just been told it's all bad then they may not um recognize when actually it's worse (laughs) and you know dealing with the questions like well have you ever watched any you know my, my usual response to that is Mate, I've seen so much of it for work. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I think with any questions like that, um, it's just important to have an answer prepared. uh, Be prepared to be asked that question. So um, when I'm not um, making podcasts, I teach young people about drugs and I always get asked, have you ever done drugs? But I'm always prepared. You know, I I know what I'm going to say and and I, what I say is, I'm, I'm actually not going to answer that question because it's not relevant to what I'm, mm. what I'm talking to you about today. And you know, I think you can be, you can say, I'm not going to answer that to young people as long as you tell them why you're not going to answer. I think that, you know that's a really good point. In that, a lot of the discussions I have, particularly around sensitive issues with young people, I always start by saying, I'm not going to ask you what you do. Yeah, and I think it's a reasonable contract to make with young people to go. If that's the case, then I don't want you asking me what I do. You know, what yeah. we will do is talk about scenarios or stuff that's happened in the media or or I mean, you know, I specifically say if you are going to talk about peers, please don't name them. Yeah, you, know, <laughs> you could have someone say, "Have they done that?" Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it becomes a, a massive issue in the schools. And so, no, I think that's a you know a, a very valid thing to to say and it, yeah it then creates an opportunity to discuss things um uh, in terms of why we don't ask people directly yeah absolutely and if you if you have a sort of um class rules or or agreement or anything in place there will probably be something in that about the fact that it's not confidential and um mm. so yeah we can't if we can't guarantee that what is said in this room is going to stay in this room then no one's going to be asked to share personal yeah. experiences. It's a bit like when I see the surveys from charities saying, oh, we asked a thousand children, have they ever sent a nude? It's like, well, 
God said, they're not going to say yes. You're basically asking us. So I will talk about shutting down the data collection process immediately. But but I think, you know, this goes back to what we were saying earlier about having a discussion is more rewarding, but it's not just a case of rocking up and going, oh, you talk amongst yourselves. You know, one of the things I've heard from, from some schools and actually one school I've worked with where it was actually one of the reasons they didn't get an outstanding was because the young people had said that the staff there weren't capable of facilitating a sensible debate. Um, and that's kind of what you're doing. Mm. You're encouraging people to voice their views as long as they're not horrendous yeah. um, and making it clear that if people do voice those views, then, you know, again, you can get into an interesting discussion then about freedom of speech. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because you will get some edge law deciding that they can say whatever the hell they want because of freedom yeah. of speech. Yeah. <laughs> and I think being prepared for you know, you, you potentially are going to open a bit of a can of worms. So maybe giving yourself 10 minutes at the end of the lesson to wrap some of that up and, um, you know, not not kind of feel like lo- lots of stuff has been raised and, and then you've just kind of left those things un, unresolved. So if you are having a more um, open discussion and perhaps you're not using a sort of strict lesson plan to do that, making sure you save a little bit of time at the end just to kind of yeah I guess kind of close that up and and make sure that people aren't leaving feeling very um elevated I suppose (laughs) (laughs) I think it's you know equally um applicable to if you like the the less formal education settings as well yeah um where we know a lot of pastoral education does go on that it's all right to say oh Oh, what's that? And you explain to me what, what that piece of technology is, but to have some appreciation. I, I think one of the things I come back to a great deal is that, oh, well, I use Facebook and I'm great at WhatsApp, therefore I can run a class about this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, that's not the case at all, but, you know, think about your own biases, think about where the evidence of your biases come from. You know, we, we always go back to the classic situation about violent video games and, and violent children and mm. trying to explain that to a, a fairly senior safeguarding member of staff in school and trying to take apart their view and then they just look at you and go, well, that's what I reckon. You know? Yeah. That's that's really not a starting point for a discussion. Well, I don't think you should do it. Well, well why not? Because it doesn't fit in with my belief system. is not helpful. Yeah. And I think, you know, that that was one of the other, I guess, bits of advice I would maybe give if someone's thinking about doing a session and is feeling a bit nervous is, any claims that you're intending to make, try to check them beforehand. <laughs> so <laughs> things like, do video games actually make people violent? Well, the evidence says no. But sure, if people are playing video games, they might have violent outbursts whilst they're playing. But what we're saying when we're saying, no, they don't cause violence, is you can play Call of Duty and be running around shooting people all day, that does not equate to someone then picking up a gun and, you know, going out in public with it with the intention of hurting people. Those two things don't don't have any kind of evidence link. Yes, no, it's 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 more to do with the competitive nature of the game and the frustration of of losing or you know, I always go back to the fact that you hear about far more fights over FIFA than you do yeah. about Call of Duty or Grand <laughs> yeah. Theft Auto because it's far more competitive. But you also hear about fights over people supporting a specific team. And yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so, you know, 
saying, oh, if you carry a gun in a video game, therefore you will become violent is, you know, they've been trying to prove that for 40 years. It's always, yeah. <laughs> it's always been a hiding. It, it, it just, you know, oh, well, it, it feels right. I think there's far too much of that in, yeah. in this, this area. And it seems to be getting, you know, considerably worse if you look at the discussions of the online safety bill at the moment. Second reading in the House of Commons last week. Um, can't say I was particularly impressed with what was discussed, but there you go. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of that sort of thing, they're talking about controlling legal but harmful content. Now, if I look at the massive survey we have on young people disclosing what they've seen online that's upsetting, the majority of it, not the majority, but one of the biggest disclosures is around current affairs. Right. So if we're talking about legal but harmful, <laughs> then are you really proposing in this legislation that social media platforms have to stop kids looking at the news? Mm. Because if you look at recent data collected on that survey, a lot of them are talking about Ukrainian war yeah. being the upsetting thing they've seen online. Yeah. Are we proposing that we should stop them doing that? Well, hopefully not. And <laughs> hopefully it, it's something that, that needs talking about with the young people. But um, but yeah, yeah, I you know, to just see too many political discussions going, well, this is fact. And you go, well, it really isn't. Mm. <laughs> you know, I saw a piece a while ago, I think I might have mentioned it on the podcast before, someone claiming that pornography is the number one concern of young people about online harms. Really? I'm, not, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm sure you haven't either. Like you still sit there and go, what, what are your big concerns about online life then? They very rarely mention porn. <laughs> well, yeah, and if porn comes up, which, you know, occasionally it does, depending on how long you spend talking, but um, if it's raised by the young people, often their concerns are not about themselves. They're concerned for other young yeah. people because they've picked up this idea that we should be concerned about this because it's harming somebody. Absolutely. It's, it's classic <laughs> third-person effects. It's like, well, I'm fine, but other people aren't. Or, yeah. <laughs> you, or, or you get the classic, I'm fine, but it's a worry that, that younger kids are looking at it and go, well, what, how do you know? What year are you? Oh, I'm year 10 now. Well, what year were you when you started looking at porn? Year 8. Okay, but you're worried about the year 8s. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think it's um, it's something that, that very clearly, I, well, I, I just read it going, the number one concern is porn. Yeah. <laughs> I, I might have said in the podcast before, because I've had COVID and I can't remember things anymore. But, um, <laughs> but one of the other things was also citing a piece of work that, that said a certain percentage of uh, pornography videos contains some form of sexual violence. Um, and I actually tracked it down to the original source because it ground my gears so much. Um, and it's based on a sample of 400. What was referred to in the article as 400 popular pornography videos. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mm. Now, I think off the top of my head, given that Pornhub has 4.5 million videos yeah. on their platform, 400 doesn't seem like a truly representative sample. And as I have written about, popular videos would imply popular based upon the browsing habits of the person doing the sampling. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, that's um, troubling. <laughs> um, you, know, you know, you will have people going, I don't like pornography, so I don't think people should look, watch it. But that doesn't mean that you should then shut down any conversation yeah. about pornography. Clearly there's some problematic issues with it, but harmful. And, you know, I think there's... When you speak to young people, there are some young people who will be very confident in sharing their views and their opinions. And then there will be some young people who will 
try to say what they think you want to hear because that yeah. is what you have trained them to do. <laughs> so if, you know, if we go into a school and say to young people, pornography is really bad, isn't it? Then they're going to be like, yeah, pornography is awful. Yeah. <laughs> and they're going to think of all of the potential issues that they might have kind of recognised. But yeah, I think we should just remember that the schooling system does encourage them to do that and to to kind of give the answers they're being guided towards. I think the, the word you use there in terms of they were trained isn't a very good one. If you are from, <laughs> yeah. a, from an early age being given assemblies and talks from the local copper, things yeah. all about how these things are bad and your life is over if you do them, then it is Pavlovian yeah. instruction at the end of the <laughs> yeah. day. So, yeah, 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 there you go. Yeah. I can remember many, what, I have definitely said this before, one of the things that really grinds my gears is the, the use of the term cyberbullying because yeah. you, you will literally have, and people go, cyberbullying is bad. Okay, oh, what is it? It's being mean online, mm. is it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, because, you know, they've been told cyberbullying is bad. So if we stop cyberbullying, you know, again, it's a, it's a wonderfully broad political statement, let's stop cyberbullying. Um, I think the, the new European um, online services Bill, which is kind of like reflecting some of the online safety bill stuff they're saying that platforms need to sort out misinformation now we haven't even got a reasonable definition of what it is so you know let's stop talking about stopping things and not doing them and have sensible conversations about these things instead yeah absolutely um and one other i guess um faulty claim that i thought might be useful to kind of reflect on before we wrap up is things that you might have been told as a child or as a young person, which um, you might then pass on to the children and young people in your life um, without necessarily backing that up first. And one that um, came up in one of the focus groups was quite a young group was staring at a screen all day will make your eyesight bad and you'll have to wear glasses. Now, I can remember being told this as a child, that if I sat that close to the TV, it was going to mean that I'd get square eyes and, and yeah. you know, my, my eyesight would be damaged permanently. Um, and these sort of claims, because we're taught them so young, we kind of don't necessarily ever question them. Um, and the reality is looking at a screen doesn't damage your eyesight long term. It can, mm -hmm. it can cause dry eyes, it can cause headaches. And if you think about the rigmarole that you have to go through in an office to set up your computer so that it's at the right height and the all of the health and safety things that we're taught now about making sure you have a break from your screen and, and moving around and um, focusing on something in the distance to kind of help your eyes adjust, and blinking regularly. Those are all things that probably when a six-year-old is given a tablet and they're sat with it on their lap, they're not probably thinking about that health and safety setup. But that might be something to kind of consider talking to a young person about rather than simply kind of relying on that. Yeah. Claim. Do you want to wear glasses? Interesting yeah. you talk about setting up a computer in an office. How very 20th century. Yeah, gosh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> you still have an office, how weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, not very 2022, was it? <laughs> well, it is according to some politicians. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But no, it, it is. It's 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 those things that you you know your eyes are going to go square or you know, just, just unpack them and, and you know even if they're older, 
students talk about why people come up with these things mm. talk about where biases arise from and, and things like that because yeah. a lot of it is down to pure laziness really. <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to have a conversation like that because i was going to tell them not to do it you know yeah i think i think we talked before about you know the and obviously with your experiences the the drugs parallels and things and how many years we've had don't take drugs kids it's bad and it's illegal well that's worked doesn't it so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But that's it, you know, I think that particularly with those things that we're taught from when we're young, they can be quite ingrained and we can kind of rely on them a bit when we're asked questions that perhaps we don't know a better oh, answer no, ab- to. Absolutely, you know, it was Grange Hill in my day and Zamo and just say no now. <laughs> Zamo or the actor who played Zamo still does public appearances based upon that because well. he's so well known as the, as the drug addict from Grange Hill. Yeah. But did that stop people of my generation taking drugs? No, I don't think so. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. So, yeah, I think just kind of being prepared for that. And, and you know, with um, a lot of what we talk about with digital resilience, um, it's about trying to come back to the young person's welfare. We want to think about, like, what is the what is their resilience like? How can we build their resilience? Um, and how can we make sure that um, they are safe and that they have someone that they can talk to if they have problems and I think the the real important thing about good lessons about digital resilience digital literacy is that if a young person feels like oh yeah that teacher actually really knew what they were talking about or they really let me share my opinions then they're more likely to come and talk to you if they're having issues and if they've got sort of more serious concerns well, I always go back to the same example. I, I did something in the Midlands years ago, um, and it was like various schools were being bussed in to do various sessions, and one of them was around online stuff. And it was lunchtime, and I noticed that all of the young people from one school congregated to this one teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, they all wanted to sit with her, and they all wanted to have lunch with her. And yeah. I had a session afterwards, and I went, you know, why, why did everyone? Oh, she's great. Why is she great? Because she answers our questions. Right. And it was, you know, it was, it was brilliant. It's like, <laughs> well, that's fairly straightforward, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, it wasn't a case of, oh, she went to the these sessions. Like, she will answer our questions. So that was, oh, that must be getting on for fifteen years ago. Yeah. And I still think it's as relevant today. Definitely. Yeah, I think that's a really nice point to end on so um we'll we'll end it there um and we've got um more podcasts on the way soon so keep an eye out in your podcast feed that's it for another episode of the online resilience podcast if you liked it please tell someone you know who might also enjoy it you can share on facebook twitter or even just pop a link in an email